John chapter 3, just doing one verse, it's the 16th verse. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I'd like to use as a topic those first words I read. For God so loved the world. Heavenly Father, I come in Jesus' name and... Lord, I thank you for the opportunity you've afforded me. Lord, forgive me for always my failed efforts. But Lord, I just pray right now that I don't have failed efforts because the Spirit doesn't fail. Lord, I just pray that you get a hold of my mind and my tongue and my my speech. Most importantly, get a hold of my spirit so that I'm able to share this as you would have me to share it in spirit and in truth. And Lord, I just pray as we look into this portion of Scripture that you let us give glory and praise to Jesus Christ, the begotten Son that has been given. And Lord, I just pray that this day we draw ever closer to you. Let us all have ears to hear, hearts to receive what the Spirit says to the church. And I ask for your help and grace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This third chapter of John, extremely famous. The verse that I even read is exceptionally famous. But this was where Nicodemus came to Jesus and he had spoken to him, letting him know, calling him rabbi and recognized that he was a teacher that came from God. And he was not recognizing him as the son of God. He just as a, a good teacher, recognizing that really that God was with him. And Jesus' response to the, because he said you wouldn't do these things that you do if God wasn't with you. But Jesus' response to them was, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, the king, yeah, the kingdom of God. Of course, that came the dis, the uh, discourse between him and Nicodemus concerning being born, what does it mean about being born again, being born of the Spirit and and the work of the Holy Spirit of which one receives regeneration. And Jesus then came and said, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And this pertained to his crucifixion because he was pointing out that because of the murmurings and the and the sinfulness of the children of Israel in in the desert in the wilderness that snakes came out serpents came out and bit them and they would die from these poisonous serpents and so God had Moses to put up a brass serpent up and if they looked to that they would live they could be bit if they got bitten they die. But if they looked to this pole that was lifted up and the serpent on the pole, they would live. And he's saying, just like that, if I'm lifted up, I'll bring you life. And then he goes on to say, he that believes on me, he shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then we get the ever famous John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him 
should not perish but have everlasting life. And this is what God gave me for today, and so I want to look at that a little bit. For God so loved the world. You know, it's interesting. I, I remember when I was doing a little bit of study on Greek, and the uh, Greek, the teacher of the of the Greek language uh, course was made this statement that he was talking about translations. And I learned a lot about translations from that particular course, but he was saying. You know, when we read that verse, it's very, it's a very famous verse, for God so loved, we always think of quantity. For God loved us so much. For God so loved, so much love. He says, but in reality, the better translation would be, after this manner, God loved us. And it's not so much the, the quantity of his love, but the quality of his love in what he did to prove and to show his love for us, giving his only begotten son, which I'll get into. But, but, the, but, that, but that is one of the things I want to spend a little bit of time on here this morning, and that is God's love. Because it's, it's, it's a very famous, or a very, I shouldn't say famous, it's a very popular uh, topic today. God's love. The love of God. God's love. Because... You know that you'll hear it a lot today. Well, God is love. Now, I've I've made reference to this in the past because a lot of times you hear it in connotation with uh, uh, romantic behavior. And I've pointed out, well, if you look at, and you can go ahead and turn to John chapter four a while. I'm not redoing this, but but one of the things that when you hear that. God is love, as they make it reference to a, a romantic love, is that we use the word love, but the Greek uses four different words. Romantic love or eros would be the Greek word that would be used there. So if you're applying an appropriate grammatical hermeneutic to the passage in, in first, first John chapter four, which is where I'm going. First John chapter four, if you're, if you're, if you're using a grammatical hermeneutic, to use it like that would be inappropriate because at no time, even in that case, it doesn't say God is love, God is eros. It says God is agape. Therefore, it, it, you know, a sacrificial love, not a romantic love. So to you, to say God is love and use it in a context in English, at, as associated with romantic love, would be an absolute incorrect hermeneutic and exegete of that passage and that verse. But one of the things I want to really look at and show you about God's, uh, you know, not talking about the romantic love and the misuse, but one of the misuses of today's thoughts of God's love Actually, it is because I want to look at it not so much from the grammatical hermeneutic here, but from the, a contextual hermeneutic and exegete the passage contextually and see how God, what God is love really is associated with. And it's, oh, it's so much, it's so much better than the way the world presents it. <laughs> see, the world says it and they get excited about it and say, what well, God is love. Well, when you look at the contextual hermeneutic, when you when you exegete the whole passage, you ought to have a hallelujah fit. Don't know if you will, but you ought to. 
First John chapter four, verse seven says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God for God is love. There it is. That's the verse that they love to say. Ever, he that loves not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this, in God's love, was manifested the love of God toward us. So here it shows. How did God show his love for us? Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. We can have life in Christ Jesus. Why? Because God loved, loved us. Because God loved us. See, see what he's saying? He's saying, he, he say, he's saying, here's how you can have a manifestation of God's love. We might live we might live through him. And he goes, herein is love. Not that we loved God. You can say amen to that because I'll tell you, I could have cared less about God until I got saved. Had no, I, I heard about him, knew things about him, was around, I was around Pentecostal stuff all my life. But I could have cared less. I didn't love God. He meant nothing to me. But he loved me. And sent his son. Now wait a minute. I'm noticing a trend here. Let's, we'll look more and I'll tell you the trend. To be the propitiation for our sins. So in other words, oh, I'm not done, re, I'm not done exegeting that passage, but, but let me, let me, let me just sh- say something. You're talking about a holy God. You're talking about an almighty God. You're talking about the one whose eyes are too pure to look upon evil. But yet he looks upon my evil and he looks upon the evil of this world. And, and he says, and he says, and, and he says, you know what? I can't look upon you, but you're full of sin. Gary, you're full of sin. Pastor Gary, you're full of sin. But, but, I will send one to be the deliverer of your sin. I will send one to take my judgment and my wrath upon sin on your behalf. Substitutionary atoning sacrifice. That's a propitiation. He's the sacrifice for my sin. Now that's love. He saved me from himself. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him if He and he is in us because he hath given us his Spirit. I'm going to deal with a little more on this. He's given us His Spirit. 
I know I've preached on this often. Know ye not that you're the temple of the Holy Ghost. And the Spirit of God dwells in you. You're a habitation of God through the Spirit. Why? Hallelujah! Praise God that He loved me enough not to leave me to try and figure it out on my own or understand who God is or know how to live in Him. But instead, He's given me the Holy Spirit to glorify Him and to testify in Him and to guide me into all truth and to convict me and, 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 and to show me the way and to lead my paths. Now that's love. That's a whole lot better than romantic love. Oh, they make his love, you know, those who like to make his, you know, say God is love and use it in the wrong context and use it out of context and wrong grammatical hermeneutic to make it romantic love. They're missing something so wonderful. Look, I don't know, you know, people here are married, have been married, and I'm glad and I'm sure it was wonderful. And I will admit I don't understand that. But I'll tell you what I do understand. What it is to have the Holy Ghost burning in your soul. What it is to have the love of Jesus Christ in your heart. What it is to have the love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. And I'll tell you, I can't imagine anything tops that. So I'll admit I may not know, but I sure know what that is. He's given us the Spirit and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. I'll be getting into that a couple minutes too. The Savior of the world. Whosoever. Just note those words. I'm not ready to get to that point yet, but I will. The Savior of the world and whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God God dwells in him and he in God. And we have known and believe the love that God hath to us. God is love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God. And God in him. See, contextually, not just the grammatic hermeneutic, but the context relates something together. They go together. God's love and His Son. Matthew, it says, God loves the Son. The Father loves the Son. Notice the two go together. They're not separated from each other. So when you see God is love, notice that there's always a relationship. Like just looking at verse 10 where I was bringing it out. You know, or verse 9, God... God manifested that love. How? He gave, he sent his only begotten son into the world. Verse 10, here in his love, not that God loved us, but he loved, not that we love God, but God, he loved us and sent his son. They're not sep, the two aren't separated. God's love and the son, Jesus Christ, are not separated from one another. They go together. Let me say that, let me say that again. I told you, you, you ought to have yourself a hallelujah fit. The two go together. God's love is coupled with the God's Son, the Son, Jesus Christ. 
They're not, they're not separated from each other. It's not, well, there's God's love and then there's the Son. No, they're together. They're together. You read that context. God is love. And you'll see, they, the two, are always together. The Father loves the Son. Let's see if I want to move this on or... No, I will. I'm going to take an extra minute here. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John deals a whole lot with God's love. For God so loved the world. If we, if we're going to know, if we're going to know that God, for God so loved the world and let people know, hey, God loves the world, we better know what His love is and how it works. Because it's in the Son. And in 1 John 3, he says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew, not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear. Well, who's going to be appearing? Jesus. We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifies himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever commits sin transgresses also the law. For sin is the transgression of the law. And we know that he, we know that he was manifested to take away our sins. You see, one of the things that people say is, well, God, you know, I, I, I have God's love. I have God's, God loves me. There's no consequences because God loves me. I'll get to a little more with this as we go on, but, and I'm saying, no, wait a minute. Is this just a thing that, well, God loves me, so anything goes? No, you see what, you, you see what, God's love does. Who whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And we know that he was manifested, meaning Jesus was man, to take away our sins. Hallelujah. Praise God, unless you love your sin, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth has not seen him, neither knows him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sins is of the devil. You want to know who's of the devil? The sin committers. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose... The Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Well, what are the works of the devil? He that committeth sin is of the devil. Well, he's destroying the works of sin in our life. So it's not, it doesn't matter what I do or how I live. No, God's love is that we don't have to be servants of sin anymore. That's why he says, Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. The born again of earlier. In this, the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil, whosoever does righteousness, 
does not doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. So he's saying, you know, that love that's manifest in you is very simply there because that's the destruction of the work of sin. Here's what God's love does. Because the two are related, God's love with the Son and the Son who, who's come to destroy the works of the devil, we, we who were servants of sin, who ever commits sin is a servant of sin. We're no longer servants of sin, but we've become servants of righteousness, which is why he said, come out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I'll be to you a God, and you'll be my people. What great love to be delivered from the sin that so easily besets us. To be made free that we don't have to be part of the sin that we once were. It doesn't need to be there. Now that's that's the love of God. Not, not, well, it doesn't matter how, it, God loves me. It doesn't matter. God loves me. No, the two go hand in hand and I'll, I'll talk about that. I'm going to jump a couple words. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son, whosoever believeth. And that's what I want to point out. See, God's love is also pertaining to believing. Believing. The aspect of God's unconditional love. Now, there are a lot of scholars and preachers who say that's not technically correct. I'm not a scholar. I am a preacher, I guess. I think the two go hand in hand. So if you try to have God's love without Without the Son, you're not abiding in His love. You are not abiding in His love. Turn with me to John chapter 15. I'll start at verse 7. It says, John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So you have fruitfulness in your life. So shall you be my disciples. As the Father has loved me. Again, the relationship between God's, the Father's love and the Son. They always seem to go together. You can't have the one without the other. You can't have the one, you can't have the one without the other. Continue in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. You shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as, not as yourself either, as I've loved you. A much higher calling. 
His, his love is greater than us loving ourselves. There's, you can go around, there's people commit suicide because they don't love themselves. He gave his own life. And he says, greater love hath no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If, oh, conditional expression, not an unconditional expression. You're my friends. It's a conditional expression. If you do whatsoever, I command you. See, this, this is filled with, filled with condition. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. You're my friends if you do. That's not unconditional. Those are, that, those are not unconditional expressions. They're conditional. They're conditional on doing what? Keeping his commandments. So it's, so it's all about works and law, right? No, no, it, it's not about that. It's about regeneration. It, it, it's about believing on him. Whosoever believeth on him. James said it, he said it, you say you have faith. Well, you show me, you show me faith without works. And he says, I'll show you my faith by my works. In other words, faith isn't something we, that just comes out of our mouth. Faith is something we live. Faith is something we live. I was, I was debating whether I wanted to go somewhere and I don't think I am. Not, to, not this, not this message. But, it's, it's, it's the life we live. It's to, am I believing Jesus though all the world be against me? Am I proclaiming His truth even though it's not popular to proclaim truth these days? The big churches aren't filled with, with truth necessarily. But I'll show you my faith. And believing is just the, the verb tense of faith. That's what he requires. You, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And those that come to him must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder that diligently seek him. But I've had this sickness for 15 years. I've had that unsaved loved one for 33 years. I know I've shared this before, but been a few, it's been a few years, so I'll share it again. But I remember hearing a, an evangelist one time talking about a, uh, he was preaching a revival at a church and he was there for several days and uh, he, there was a woman who sat up in the front and he said, you just saw the glory of God just shining off her face. He said, such a godly woman. And so he went to the pastor and he said, that woman that sits on the front, he said, oh, yeah. He said, that's, you know, a woman of the church. He said, she's such a godly woman. He said, you know, she'll we give her a key so she can just come in and pray. And she'll come in and pray for hours. He says, one of the most godly women I know, he says, I've ever known. He said, and her husband is the devil. She said... She said, he, he said, if I'm walking down the street and I see him coming, I'll cross the street because if he sees me, 
he'll just get into an argument with me. He said he, he is the antithesis of the devil. He said, but she is the most godly woman I've ever met. Well, they were, the, the way that, as I understand it, the, the structure of the church was where they had chairs sitting up, you know, the kind of the throne chairs that sit up and the, and the pastor and guests and all that sit up on the throne chairs. And so he was sitting up there and the woman came in and there was a man with her and he said, I saw that man. He said, that is the ugliest man I've ever seen in my life. He looked at the pastor and he said, is that the devil? He said, that's the devil. He said, whatever you do, don't look at him. Because if you look at him, he'll think you're preaching to him and he'll disrupt the service. And so they started singing and he said, you know, usually in a revival you open up with a, you know, a very fast song to get things revived. And he said, but they started singing Amazing Grace. And he said he just lifted up his hands, the evangelist, just lifted up his hands and began to worship the Lord. Just as he was, he just found himself kind of walking. And he found himself walking and all of a sudden he opened his eyes and he was right in front of that man. And he, and he shook the man's hand and said, it's so wonderful having you here. Do you know the Lord is your Savior? And the man looked at him and said, I've been waiting for somebody to ask me that. And the man gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ that day. And that godly woman started dancing around the church and said, I've been praying for 33 years, but tonight... God has answered my prayer. I want to, I want to say God so loves the world that He gave that whosoever believes, whosoever believes, whosoever abides, whosoever keeps, whosoever, whosoever keeps in that love. You see, there's a condition. There's a condition. But keep praying. Keep believing. Because God said, come out from among them and be separate and touch the uncle, touch not the unclean thing. I'll be to you a God and you'll be, and I'll be, I'll, you'll be to me a people. I'll be to you a God. God's love is not separated from faith in Christ. Let me say that again. God's love is not scripturally. I turn to a whole lot of them by my ad to show you God's love is not separated from believing in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him and faith in Christ is a necessity to abide in his love and, and, and faith Faith isn't just just saying, well, I believe in what Jesus did, which takes me to the next point. we got a long one. One verse, and I'm, I have like a 47-minute message. For God so loved the world, what does that mean? Well, that means everybody. Well, 
you get you that's something that's kind of prevalent in today, whether they know it or not. And that's universal self, the doctrine of universal salvation. I'll let you know right now, I'm not a proponent of universal salvation. That's why I said you can't have the love of God without, without the Son. The two go hand in hand. But universal salvation is, well, God loved the world. And Christ died for everybody. You know, this doesn't, this, Pastor Gary, doesn't the scripture say, if if one died for all, then we're all dead. Well, didn't he die for all? Well, then everybody's saved. And usually those who are proponents of universal salvation will look at scriptures that talk about how, uh, uh, you know, how he's going to put all things under his feet and all things are going to be brought to him. And they'll say, well, that's all things. All things are going to be under his feet. So therefore, everybody will be saved because of what Christ did. The devil's going to be saved and restored and reconciled. The demons are going to be saved and reconciled to him. And that's what universal salvation is. Everybody's saved. And that's why I say... We, you know, we're kind of living in a day where as much as that is a very rare belief, very few people in Christendom would believe in, in the position of universal salvation. But yet it seems like much of the world believes in universal salvation. Because Christ died. Well, that makes me a Christian. I, hey, I went to a funeral. I heard the saying. They said, they said, well, you, how many want to believe in Jesus and go to heaven? I want to go to heaven. Count me. Hey, I don't, I don't want the lake of fire, you know. Count me in. So because he did that, then I can have this eternal life. And they're believing in universal salvation. But there's no belief in him. There's no evidence of faith. God, and that's where you get the misuse of God is love. God loves, God loves us all. Well, yes, he does. God commended his love for us that while we were yet sinners, while we were enemies to God, he showed that love to us. Christ died for us. Again, the love and Jesus Christ go together. They're never separated. They're not separated from each other. They go together. But they say, well, God's love, it doesn't matter whether I really have a life of faith in Jesus Christ. Because after all, he died. So there's a lot of people think they're fine when they're not. Because they're not abiding in his love. They're not believing in him. And you know how I know? They open their mouths and begin to speak. And what comes out has nothing to do with life and living in him. Scripture we read earlier. So what does it mean he loves the world? Does that mean everybody just has salvation, universal salvation? Well, most don't believe that. But in Christendom, you kind of have two camps. 
limited atonement and unlimited atonement. Limited atonement looks at those verses that talk about how Christ died for the sheep, Christ died for the church. And so this, this would really be the Calvinistic camp, the, the predestination people. And they're going to say, well, Christ only died for those who are the elect, those who are, are predestined for salvation. Those is, that's who he died for. In other words, there's a limited atonement. The atonement is only available to those who have been predestined to be saved. Now, I don't hold to this. I think there's other scriptures that bring. But the, but I, I will explain uh, why does it say then, well, Christ died for the church. Christ died for the sheep. You know, why doesn't it say he died for the world? Well, it did. It does. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. That the church, the sheep, no, whosoever, anyone, unlimited atonement. In other words, Christ died for everybody. The whole world. Now, I'm not talking universal. And see, that's the argument of those with the limited atonement. They'll stick their finger in my face and say, and say, you see, you're promoting universal salvation. I'm saying, no, I'm not. That's why I just spent a half hour talking about you can't separate God's love from the Son. And his atoning work and his propitiation for our sin. You can't do it. So if you're trying to do it through universal salvation, it doesn't work. So no, although I'm a proponent of unlimited atonement, it's not universal salvation. And so, and that's why we have those passages that say, he died for the sheep, he died for the church. What is that saying? He died for the world. For God so loved the world. And that includes the worldly, which is all of us. Those who are part of the system of this world. He died as an atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for our sin, to deliver us from this world and sin. But this is why it says the sheep and the church and those things. It only has its efficacy in those who believe in him. He died for everybody. But the only place that it's effective, the only place where, where it works or where, where it has effect is in those who believe on him. He gave his only begotten son for the world. That whosoever believes on him. Let me maybe I need to make that a little smaller. Believes on him. So unlimited atonement. So I'm teaching you today. Unlimited atonement is available. But if they say, well, no, it's only for the church. And I've had somebody kind of bring something up and I knew what they were getting at when they said, he died for the church. And I didn't get into the argument that day. But but I simply want to say, yes, he died for the church. But he died for everyone. But where where it has its efficacy is in the church, is in his sheep. That's where you don't perish but have everlasting life. 
For God so loved the world, he gave his only God, so whoever believes in him, so he loves the world, belief, we talked about those things. I got one more point. I got one more point, yeah. Whosoever believes in him, for God so loves God, so he gave his only begotten son. That's my final point. I may do a second part on this next week or in two weeks that he won't perish, but that you won't perish, but have everlasting life. But let me turn and I'll try to make this quick because I'm out of time and a half. First Corinthians chapter 14. I'm sorry, chapter 15. Because this is where your faith is in. 1 Corinthians 15.1 says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein we stand, ye stand. By which also you're saved. You're saved by this gospel. If, conditional expression, not unconditional. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. That's part I wanted to bring out there. You can believe in vain if you don't keep it. Keep yourself in the love of God. For I have delivered unto you first of all that which also, which I also receive. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Buddha didn't do it. Confucius didn't do it. Sun Young Moon didn't do it. Christ did it. According to the scriptures, I might add. And he, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. According to the scriptures. Jesus Christ fulfilled it all. Every little bit of it, he fulfilled. That's what you believe in. Not always lead to God, but Jesus Christ fulfills the scriptures. He died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again according to the scriptures. God, God didn't give. I'm going I'm to take a couple minutes and make another statement, and that's this. God, God, God is love. And God loves us. And it says in this, after this manner, or God commended his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If there were, if there were many ways that lead to God, if we can coexist and, and all those things that they like to have these days and say these days and all their, all the world's buzzwords, if all that stuff were true, how can that be love? That if I can believe in Confucius sayings or Buddhism or Hinduism or just, I, I just don't, I want to go to heaven. That's what I want. But I don't want this Jesus stuff. If I could have salvation that way, but yet God sent Jesus to a cross at Calvary to be beaten, have his beard pulled from his face, to take the slashes upon his back, 
to have the uh, crown of thorns put upon his head, to have nails pierced into his hands and his feet. How is that love? Because I can choose another way. Why do all that? He did all that because that was that was what it took to satisfy the just the justice of God's demand for sin. That's what it took. Nothing less. That's that's love. That's why you can't put God's love with Buddhism or anything else. It must be related with the Son. One last place I'm going to look, and then I'll close it up. Romans chapter 5. Verse 6 says this, For when we were yet without strength in due time... Christ died for the ungodly. Count me in that bunch. Christ died for the ungodly. I might have another hallelujah fit. (laughs) Hallelujah. I am so glad he died for this ungodly sinner. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commended His love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath. You're not going to perish, but you're going to have an everlasting life because you're going you're to be saved from wrath through Him. Believe in Him. Be saved from wrath. Have everlasting life. For if we, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more than being reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. And we're going to live with Him forever. And not only so, but we also joy in God. That's why we have hallelujah fits. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, by whom we have now received the atonement, the at one We're not separated with from God, but we're made one. We're at one with God. We're justified. We're reconciled unto God because God loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Believe in Him. And you'll not perish. You'll not experience wrath but you'll have everlasting life. For God so loved, hallelujah, the world. Father, I come in Jesus' name. And Lord, I thank you for this passage.